Hi there, welcome back to Journeys. I'm Jeremy Bacon, the CEO and co-founder of Synapse Software Labs. This is the podcast where we talk about all things related to building great teams, great products, and great companies with a customer-centric focus. My guest today is Elizabeth Schwann Rosenwald, the Chief External Relations Officer for the Taproot Foundation. It's super nice to have you here today. I can't wait to hear about Taproot and I can't wait to hear about your journey and how you deal with and manage your relationships of, well, all sorts and all kinds. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, now you have a very interesting journey, as does the Taproot Foundation. And so today we're going to talk about these, these two and how they come together, the intersection points, and all the really interesting things that you've learned and been able to successfully grow and the nonprofit world through Taproot Foundation. Sounds great, I'm looking forward to it. Awesome, well let's start then by introducing our audience to the Taproot Foundation, and then we'll take a step backwards and talk about your history, your journey, and uh, and specifically how Taproot Foundation works with its customers of all all types. So the Taproot Foundation was founded in 2001 with the idea that if business professionals could use the skills and talents that they use every day at their desk to support nonprofits and social change organizations, that we could potentially change the conversation in how resources were allocated, um, how talents were leveraged, and what capacity building looks like. That's a lot of jargon that I yeah, just put in there. Yeah, a lot there. of cool I know. words. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of cool words. <laughs> but what it really means is that when people think about giving back, when they think about wanting to volunteer, some people want to you know, serve at a soup kitchen, they want to help clean up a park. And some people want to do what they do best for causes and things that they're passionate about. So if I'm a great accountant and I love looking at the books and figuring stuff out. Yeah. You might want to do that for your local soup kitchen Mm -hmm. because, let me tell you, no one goes into the nonprofit sector because they have a deep love of finance and accounting. They go into the nonprofit sector because they have a passion, they have a mission, they have a vision for change. Mm-hmm. And they learn all those skills. And some of the best accountants and finance people I know are in the nonprofit sector, but they learn those skills. They sort of fell into them as they were experiencing exactly. their passion. So they're able then to leverage the talents of this accountant and help the organization grow and thrive, which allows it to serve more people to better support our communities. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Well, what's interesting about what you just said is that your background sort of is a very interesting one, educationally and otherwise. And, yes. you know, based on conversations we've had in the past, you sort of fell into what you love by falling into nonprofit. I was, yeah, I was going to say, speaking of falling into it, yeah. uh, my majors in college were English and theater. Um, and as, I'm, as I tell parents now, it's actually fine. Um, your child can major in English, they can major in theater, they can major in music, and you don't actually know what that's going to mean. Right. It may not mean that they're trying to get on stage in New York. Um, in my case, I can tell you that my theater degree serves me incredibly well with the ability to have conversations, to be in front of a large group of people, to be completely comfortable in having a sort of multi-tangent discussion where I never know what's coming next. Mm -hmm. It's It's sort of- It's like improv. I was just gonna say, it's a form of improv, um, except now we're talking about potential donors and potential clients and potential organizations that we're supporting. Um, but it's the same skill sets. Absolutely. Well, in fact, one of my favorite sort of sales training methods is to take people to acting school and say, look, selling is not about faking it. You're not, no. you're, I mean, it, that's the last thing you want to do. You, and people inevitably pick up on disingenuous behavior, disingenuous actions, disingenuous intent. And so, you know, sales is never about, you know, used carsmen used car salesman selling, right? It's not about the Glengarry Glenn Ross, like make me want to no. buy something because you're manipulating me. But the ability to sort of connect with your audience and connect with the person that you're talking with and ultimately trying to help and 
along the way you're selling them stuff, but they're also providing service to you as well yep. is, is hugely valuable. So And a little I, bit of crazy. A little um, bit, yeah. I, I will say <laughs> yeah, that yeah. I got my start in actual fundraising running a call room um, for uh, Steppenwolf Theater and then Looking Glass Theater. And I learned from that process that you want to bring people on board to do that type of work who are just a little bit different yeah. because they're not afraid. And yeah. that's the same thing as theater majors. We're not afraid to make fools of ourselves. And selling has to be a little bit of saying, sure, let's let's play with this. Let's try that. Let's yeah. see what happens. The world is but a stage. It, it, we are merry players. Let's go do this thing. Very nicely done. Yes, yeah, exactly. Um, but the ability to be unafraid in situations where other people would be afraid. Calling someone and asking them for $15,000 is kind of nuts. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, calling someone and saying, I believe in this thing, can you help us make it happen? Less nuts, but mm -hmm. you gotta have people who aren't afraid to do that. Right, absolutely. Well, so, and you're, you mentioned Steppenwolf Theater. Um, you also have experience in creating your own theater company, am I, I right? I yeah. do, yeah. So I graduated from Smith College, yes. which is an all-women's college out in western Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. So when I came to Chicago, I was very excited about joining the theater world and being a part of that community. And when I got here, I had some great experiences, but I started to look around and realized that unfortunately, the number of women in what I would refer to as power positions, directors, designers, producers, wasn't any better here in Chicago than it was anywhere else in the country. It's a little better now, although it's still about 20%. Um, and so 20% is the name of the theater company that I founded. They started. I did, back in 2003, mm -hmm. um, with a colleague of mine from Smith College, Abigail Boucher. She and I started it together, and then I ran that for seven years, uh, at which point I had joined Taproot Foundation and was starting to try and figure out what was next, um, and um, uh, the, Art, uh, one of the company members uh, took over as artistic director, and uh, I'm really proud to say the company's still running. It's in its, oh dear, fourteenth um, season I was now. Say third <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. counting, or so. um, yeah. but it's still going, which to me speaks to the power of its mission. Yeah. That women need those opportunities, and we have to create them. Well, it's fantastic that you were able to do so, and that it's thrived and done so well over time too. I'm pretty proud of it. Yeah. So okay. So. Um, one of the things I think that that, uh, that would be interesting to talk a little bit about is this, the, the transition point. So for you, where you decided, okay, um, I've got this wonderful educational background, English and theater, and you've used those two degrees well in your professional career. Um, but there was something that triggered you to say, okay, well, as much as I love this, let me, let me sort of branch out and do something a little bit different. Can we talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so there's two answers to that question. The first is rent. Um, so I came to the city of Chicago and I was doing theater work and I was not like, the music, not the play, right? not yeah. the play. No, I, I, I wish, but no. In this case, um, I was doing you know backstage theater work and I was working on my own stuff. But mm -hmm. you know this pesky thing called rent. Yeah. Um, and so I started working at the Chicago Symphony Orchestra telephone okay. room, and I loved it. I loved the energy of it. I loved raising funds for something I believed in. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, this is kind of odd. If I love this, potentially I should do more of it. And yeah. that's mm -hmm. how I got my start in fundraising, okay. um, yeah. which was in a call room. And actually, I recommend everyone start in a call room because it teaches you not to be afraid. Yeah. I, one of my best experiences growing up, it, well, it professionally, was I worked in a, in a call center as well. And like, there's nothing better, um, nope. nothing better to sort of force you into this world of putting it out there and figuring it out and not taking no for an answer, but doing so in a wonderfully polite and happy, friendly way. And not yeah. being afraid of the word no. Yeah. I've mm -hmm. never had anyone be offended by asking. Yeah. I've had a lot of people say no, but no is fine. I'll yeah. get someone else to say yes. Exactly, it's all good. So I started doing that and I was sort of had these dual lives um, where I was running 20% in the evenings and weekends and yeah. I was also working in fundraising for nonprofit arts organizations. And 
Um, so Steppenwolf and Looking Glass, and then I was at um, a small chamber ensemble called the Chicago Chamber Musicians, which actually, okay. unfortunately, is now defunct. Is that okay. Uh, I didn't know that one. Yeah, no, they, uh, chamber music is, unfortunately, doesn't have a big audience draw at this point in time, uh, which is too bad. It is. Uh, that being said, so I was, I was doing both of this, and I was starting to figure out, okay, well, well what's next? Um, and not to be cliched, but President Obama was elected, um, and he gave his big speech about service mm -hmm. and about making a difference. And I heard him, and I thought, is this, is this all that I'm gonna be doing? What else am I gonna be doing? Yeah. And the thing about theater is, as soon as you have that thought, theater's not the right world for you because you need to believe when you're doing theater yeah. that you are driving forward towards a bigger vision. Mm. And the people who I know who do theater, they all believe that and I am amazed and blown away by their passion and commitment. But as soon as I had that thought, I was like, okay, it's time, time to find something else. new. Mm -hmm. And the Taproot Foundation came across my desk, literally. I was like, well, this is interesting. I know nothing about service and volunteerism and pro bono, but I know how to fundraise, yeah. so sure, let's try this out. So I send in my application, um, and this is where my story gets a little funny, which is, um, at, as it happened, the organization was short-staffed at the time, so the woman doing the hiring was also screening resumes. So she had a stack of resumes on her desk, um, and her mom was in town. And her mom was flipping through the resumes, um, and as it turns out, her mom went to Smith College. So she pulled my resume out and handed it to her daughter and said, you have to interview this one. The rest, as they say, is history. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> exactly. Which is uh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And it started a, a journey for yeah. me through Taproot, but also in working with um, the woman who hired me, Megan Kashner, as later on I joined her startup organization, Benevolent, uh, and did some work with them, and also just sort of grew and learned um, as a professional. Very cool. You said a word that resonates with me a couple of moments ago when you were talking about the transition for you when you realized it was time to leave theater and move into something different. Mm -hmm. You said purpose. Yeah. Right? That uh, an actor, and I think this is true for anyone in any career in any industry, the day you wake up and realize that, the, that your personal purpose for doing, being, doing whatever mm -hmm. is off from what the purpose of the organization or the mission or the vision or the mm -hmm. thing that you're, that you're, where you're working, is it, it's time to go. It's time to yeah. make, it, make a change and a transition. Because yep. uh, purpose is so important. You know, purpose-driven work and purpose-driven life and purpose-driven everything is really what it's all about. So let's take a couple of, let's peel back that, a couple layers there if yeah. you're okay with it. And let's, let's talk about a little bit more about purpose and, and sort of purpose-driven um, mission and focus for you as it relates to Taproot and the work that you've done. Yeah, serving your, your absolutely. And, and the idea of purpose is one that I, I've given a lot of thought to, partially because Taproot's founder has done a lot of work on it, um, but, but also because it's really easy for people to understand when you talk about purpose and passion around kittens and small children and mm -hmm. even the arts. Like People get that, yeah. but yeah. purpose and passion around talent and volunteerism it's harder to sort of understand where that comes from. Um, and so for me, when I joined Taproot, one of the things I said was, if I get bored, I'm leaving. Mm -hmm. It's seven and a half years later, I haven't right, gotten bored. Yeah. Um, and I haven't gotten bored because the ideas behind Taproot, the idea of changing the face of civic engagement, of thinking about what it really means to be part of your community, um, and of thinking what would happen if every business professional used their skills to build the infrastructure of nonprofits. 
that excites me. Mm -hmm. That makes me energized. I was working last night on the annual appeal for Taproot Foundation. Um, it's our 15 year anniversary. Mm -hmm. And I was sort of telling that story and I, and, you know, I finished the, the appeal and I was, I was on a high because it was just a moment of, think about how much has changed since 2001 mm -hmm. and how much more work we have to do. So the ability to be inspired and energized by your work, um, whether it's kittens and puppies or whether it's bringing talents to serve and build infrastructure or whether it's looking at spreadsheets, mm -hmm doesn't matter what it is. What matters is, do you wrap up your work for the night and think, that was awesome. That made me feel like I was ha making a difference. I want to, you know, I'm excited to get back to it the next day. Mm -hmm. um, and and that, th those experiences are ones that I think you need to have, particularly in fundraising, which is if you don't sort of get those stars in your eyes when you're talking about what you, what you do, yeah. you're not the right fit and you should move on. Right, yeah, you gotta do something else for sure. Well, so, you know, speaking of, of, uh, of fundraising, um, it's a lot like, well, fundraising is selling at the end of the day. Yes, um, absolutely. I mean, you're absolutely selling a service, you're selling a thing, and it might be, uh, and generally it's a, it's a feeling, it's a feeling of accomplishment and sense of worth and helpfulness and mm -hmm. all that comes along with sort of giving of yourself and your material possessions or whatever else to, to a cause, which is great. But it is sales. Yes, um, and, and more people you're selling call it that. Exactly, and you're selling to a customer. But in your yes. case, uh, and in like a lot of businesses, you serve multiple customers, right? And yeah. kind of multiple masters to a certain extent because you've got obligations to the foundation, obligations to your existing uh, benefactors, and you've got obligations to your beneficiaries. Um, Let's talk a little bit about how you sort of manage that, the, the sale to each of those yeah. um, audiences. The nonprofit world is a strange one because the people in my roles are first and foremost responsible for conveying the products, whatever they are, whether mm -hmm. they're you know, client services or programs or deliverable, whatever they are, it's our job to convey those with passion to the funder that makes them excited and engaged and thinks, yes, this fits within what I'm already doing mm -hmm. and therefore I will support it. The, the interesting or challenging part of this is that on the flip side, then you've got the funder saying, yep, this is what I'm doing, this is what I'm focusing on, I'll support this. But you always have to make certain, does the nonprofit or the client need it? Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's that example of the nonprofit who you know, had a room in their school where companies could come in and paint the room yeah. because along with the painting of the room came $5,000. They needed that five thousand right, dollars more than they needed to go to paint, probably. Well, because all they did was paint and repaint the room. Right. So you have to balance and find a way to get it to work for the funder, mm -hmm. to get it to work for the nonprofit. And in Taproot's case, we have a third stakeholder. This is part of why our messaging can get really complex because we have our our funding community. Yeah. We have our nonprofits, which are our primary client and always will be, mm -hmm. and we have the professionals who are donating their time, time and talent. Yeah. I mean, I was looking at uh, some of our uh, professionals last night, realizing that one of them had done 34 projects with us, each project being 100 hours over the last amazing. eight years. It's amazing. Yeah. And they're part of our stakeholder pool, but we have multiple 
masters that we work with. We well, have all, multiple. Yeah, they're all customers, and they yes. all need to be managed separately mm -hmm. and independent of each other. But there's a community aspect of that too. Yep. So actually, in, the, in your world, then how do you sort of get? How do you drive those customer interactions? I'm just going to call them all customers. Great. How, how do you drive customer interactions between your organization and each constituent? of customers and then are there times where you try to bring them together and have and have them intentionally overlap so they can see the benefit um, that they each bring to the overall yeah. uh, ecosystem in my world it's we've done so because we've identified that our primary client, our primary customer is the nonprofit mm -hmm. which means that all of our interactions whether they're with the professional whether they're with the funder is about serving the nonprofit and what the nonprofit needs which means that we say no a lot. When a funder comes to us and says, I think this would be really valuable, if we know that the nonprofits have said, I, I don't want this, then we tell the funder no. When the 24-year-old millennial who wants to learn about website design, and thank you for wanting to be part of that world, says, oh, I can build a website, no, actually, that's not a pro bono engagement. Thank you for that offer but we have to find a way to use your skills so that nonprofits are getting experts. So yeah, and learning getting real deep value. Right. Yeah. Learning Shouldn't how to say no is yeah. part of how we manage our customers mm -hmm. because if we actually had three stakeholders of equal value in terms of where we drive towards, it would be impossible to manage it. Mm -hmm. But having said the nonprofit comes first, allows us to broker stronger relationships. Sure. And it also probably makes it easier for the people that you say no to to understand, okay, I get what I'm yeah. offering now isn't necessarily the right thing today, but when the time is right for what I'm willing to offer, I know you're gonna call me. Yeah. That, that, again, that's your job, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's when you are gonna be on the hook to say, yeah, all right, Jeremy, I need you now. Can exactly. You now? And yeah. a lot of nonprofits, I think, need to get better at saying no, mm -hmm. um, because no is a hard thing to say when someone's offering you money. Well, it's always a hard thing to say in any, in any industry, whether Fair. it's nonprofit or not, because, you know, and, and you have the same issues, like uh, in, in the for-profit world, sometimes you don't, you know, it's not saying no to the wrong customer, you run the risk of jeopardizing your franchise and your customer value. It's no different right, in, in that regard. Yep. If you bring the wrong type of customer into the mix, like at some point you're all going to pay for it. Um, yeah, Just a question of when and how. And how, exactly. Yeah. And, whether it's, and how painful it ends up being to yep. them and you and your other customers, for sure. Exactly. Okay, so um, fundraising is fun. It's challenging. I think so. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, I love, I, lo I love selling, so it, and I love fundraising. It's great. Um, I'm sure you have to have had a few experiences along the way where, and this is a traditional thing that happens in sales all the time, people oftentimes fail to ask the right question. Uh, and as we know, the, the right question almost always is asking for the order, but sometimes we fail to ask for the, for the, the right order. Um, yeah. Have you, have you have, had any experiences in, in that? Oh yeah. Uh, so a couple of years ago, Taproot was in the process of launching a new program. It was going to be an online platform, um, a little bit like Match.com for Pro Bono, where okay. professionals and nonprofits could come together um, and access and provide Pro Bono resources. They could sign up uh, and you know, support nonprofits right there. Um, we were very excited about this because it was the first time we were offering a program that you didn't need a philanthropic backer mm -hmm. to use. You could just sign up and sign get up Pro Bono. Um, but you know, building a platform is fairly expensive. Uh, and so we were seeking supporters for this. Um, and I had a couple of potential supporters for it uh, who were interested in the platform, and so I was, I was having different conversations um, independent of each other. 
Um, and so we got to the point where we were, we were ready to sort of say, well, these are the launch partners. Um, and one of my potential funders who had signed on called me, um, to be blunt, really pissed at me. Um, yeah. Because what she said was, I, I don't want to do this with other people. I want to do this as a commitment to the sector. Why didn't you ask me for what you really needed? Yeah. Um, and she was right. She was right because I had made an ask of her, uh, of her company, that sort of fit in what I felt was the safe bucket. This felt comfortable for me to say what we needed. Mm -hmm. And then I was working with other funders to potentially you know, get Round the rest of the funding. Sure. I never went to her and said, okay, this is how much it's gonna cost to build this platform. This is how much it's gonna cost um, to support it and to be the exclusive funder for it. Mm -hmm. um, will you provide this? Or are um, you interested in that, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. I think- Two or three different questions. Yeah, and, and I think the truth yeah. is she would have, and yeah. they would have. Yeah. Um, but I, I didn't ask. Um, I presumed that it was too big of an ask. Yeah, yeah, and that's so, the problem with assumptions, right? Like, and we all get burned by this a million times. Even, even after you've learned the lesson a hundred times, like you'll, you find yourself one day in the middle of making it again, and ho hopefully you can stop yourself before you go all the way, but um, yeah, I, I've certainly learned been in that same exact At this point, I just try and, and start with what I really need mm -hmm. and go Work from there. Backwards, yeah. sure, which makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So speaking of which, so you know, you've learned a lot obviously about managing your customer relationships, looking for and asking for the right amounts mm -hmm. when you need it, where you need it, whether it's money or whether it's volunteerism or wh whatever it might be, yeah. which is great. So then you know, how, do you, how do you sort of manage your customers' expectations at this point? Knowing what you know about how they work and what they need and how they've been with you in the past and what it takes to go get a new one, I'm curious if you can share with, share with us some tips for how you sort of build and then manage the expectations of your various customer segments. Um, yeah. Once they're, once they're part of the organization, once they're with you. It's a, it's a great question. Um, and that is by far the most challenging part mm -hmm. because everyone comes to the table energized and excited about what's gonna happen, about helping nonprofits do better at the work that they're already doing. Um, but then real life happens and people you know, have to step away or a nonprofit changes their direction or a funder wants to see things happening sooner than they're actually happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so uh, blunt honesty um, is what I have found is the actual only solution. Every time you think you can spin it, you can say, well, it's, it's not quite what it looks like. It's really this. See, notice this thing floating over here? Right, right. Um, it fails. So yeah. uh, being able to just be completely transparent and say, this is where we're at. This is what's happening. These are the challenges. These are the good things. Here's what's going to move forward from here. So how often do you have like a standard practice or a standard process for communication and for outreach to your customers as progress is being made or as projects are started? We do based upon which of our different products a customer is using. Okay. Mm -hmm. So depending on the product, it's either on like a quarterly basis uh -huh. or it's you know on a monthly basis or it's during different grant rounds. Um, so there's a process in place mm -hmm. and then sometimes things go all willy-nilly willy and yeah. you've got to sort of reach out to the various stakeholders and say, okay, this is where we're at. Right, right. We gotta put this together and figure it out. Yeah. Um, and and a lot of times, I think fundraisers are looked at as you know spin doctors a little bit. Like, oh, you're just telling stories. Um, and this is one of those times where you actually can't tell stories. You mm -hmm. have to put it all out there um, because this is what's actually happening. Mm -hmm. um, and we're really well trained to not do that, but by doing that, you actually solve the, the situations a little more easily. Yeah, you mean we as we generally, we as people, or we as 
I, I meant we as fundraisers and okay. salespeople. Like yeah. we're trained to tell the spin, we'll make it pretty. Yeah. Um, that's the used car salesman a little bit. And yeah, okay. and there's a piece of that in sales and fundraising. Well, you've, always got a, you've always, you know, you've got a, you're always talking about the, the, the silver lining, right? I'm there's always a good thing yeah. going on here. There might be some bad things, but yeah, but the point I think you're making right is like, you've got to sell the good and the bad and, yep. and everything in the middle. Yeah, yep. just be open and transparent. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And obviously, you know, you can plan all you want, but as, as you said a few minutes ago, like everything can go willy-nilly and things got to be adjusted and for and We are at the end of the day talking about people and organizations and money and it's never going to be 100% clean. No, and they're all complex organisms. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Not just organizations. Yep. Um, so yeah, another another question, because I, I love the, the, the uh, to me, account to me, planning is, is incredibly important, and we have to be planful, mindful, forward-looking at everything that we do. Do you actually have a process in place where you structure plans for your customers, that you're, you're thinking about XYZ organization that is a funder, or XYZ organization that is supplying talent uh, and pro bono work? Do you sit down and, and devise plans of what you think they could be doing six months and 12 months and 18 months from now? And then, and, and, and then do you share those with, the, with those people? Can you walk me through a little bit about how that works? Yeah, absolutely. Do? So whenever anyone asks me, like, what are, what's the, the trick to a successful pro bono engagement? Mm -hmm. um, the first thing I answer is the project scope. Um, and this is where almost every pro bono project goes wrong or where it's successful. When the nonprofit and professional sit down and figure out what is the scope, what are the milestones in reaching that sort of completed project? Uh -huh. What is the deliverable? So that when things get kicked off, I mean, within the business world, this, everyone's like, well, of course, but it's important to remember that for a pro bono engagement, when things get kicked off, the client should know exactly what they're getting. The professional should know what they're doing. Um, so for an example, um, back when I worked for a chamber music ensemble, I had a volunteer come in and he really wanted to help. I mean, he was committed to chamber music, he loved it, and he wanted to help. Mm -hmm. So he volunteered to help build a database of all of the recordings that we had done over the past, at that point I think it was 15 years. Um, and to create this online database that our customers could use and leverage. And he built this, and it was an amazing database, and no one knew how to use it. So it's sitting there, yeah. and it's still sitting there, and it's got incredible resources in it. This is where Project Scope comes in. Mm -hmm. If you scope out a project, if you make certain that you have the right skill sets on the team to use what's being built, if you make certain that you're able to know, I'm gonna get this, I'm gonna use it this way, this is gonna be the impact, that results in a successful project. Yeah. So we build those, we create those, the nonprofit, the professional, they all have to know about it. Um, and then with the funder, we try and give them updates. I think it's important, and I try and share this with funders when we're sort of starting our relationship, they're not gonna know all of the dirty laundry. Um, because this is about organizational design and infrastructure, and that's messy. And nonprofits have the right to figure that out mm -hmm. with experts and not have to share all of that with their funders. We'll share the story, sure. um, but sharing the, the details, unless particularly asked, and then we'll work through that, I, sure. I try to say, you know what, that, that's, that's between the professional and the nonprofit. Yeah, that, and sometimes it's, it's also TMI, right? Just too much information, too much overload. Like it's not necessarily even what the, what the funder needs, right? Right. So figuring out what that level is is, uh, is, is obviously critical. Yep, right. absolutely. Well, awesome. Well, this has been lots of fun. 
question for you. Yes. If any of our viewers uh, want to find out more about the Taproot Foundation, where do they go? What should they do? How do they get involved? Absolutely. So there's two places to go. If you're a professional or a nonprofit and you want to get pro bono, you want to go to taprootplus.org. Um, you can sign up, you can access projects, you can donate your skills. If you just want to learn more about Taproot, um, you can visit us at taprootfoundation.org. Uh, and just learn more about the things we do, the work we, that, that happens, and how to get involved. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for coming in. We'll put some links to the websites, both the sites, up on the show notes for this episode. Uh, that does it for today's episode of Journeys. Thanks for watching us and for tuning in. Uh, if you like what you see or heard, please uh, rate us on iTunes. It helps us to get more people like you involved in the journey story. Thanks again, Elizabeth. We appreciate thank you. coming in today. This is great.